You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast with Sinan Schwarting and Kan Bayazit. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 64 of the Black Eagles podcast. I am your host, Sinan Schwarting, live from New York City. And with me today is something unique, something special. We have a, a, a special co-host, a special guest co-host, Evron Akman, everybody. And you've probably heard him before. For, for loyal listeners out there, you've, you've heard him on one of our hashtag after the beat. But so, Evrod, welcome to the show. What up, what up? Uh, how you doing? I'm all right, you know, just ready to talk about Bishkush. Yeah, but it's time. Uh, quickly, before we do that, you know, since you didn't really get a chance to do this previously, say a word or two about yourself. Uh, how long have you been following the team? Uh, what are you doing? I didn't say where you are. Tell us that first, I guess. Where the hell are you on planet Earth? Um, I'm in uh, northern New York in my, at my college. I'm a student. Yeah. Uh, I've been watching Bishush since I was... I think the first game I ever watched was the 4-4 Antalya game. Like, that's like 06, I think. Um, but I really started watching like consistently around 2012. And since then, I've been watching almost every single game. Uh, I, I play, I ref, kind of uh, really into the game overall, and bitch touch is my main passion. Uh, yeah, not only do you play, you're, you're being somewhat modest, you play for your team in, in Division Three college ball here. And, and, and for anyone who doesn't know about how things work here, that's, uh, you know, he's like one scout away from, from maybe a Division One school or thereabouts. Who knows? One good season. But sadly, and, and this probably worth is worth mentioning, uh, poor Mr. Akman over here has suffered an ACL tear. Uh, so he's been sidelined for six to eight months, I'd say. Yep. Uh, but So you're going to be returning back uh, when? In the summer? Uh, yeah, late August. Hopefully it'll be my uh, return to the, the actual pitch. But uh, training nice. can start earlier than that. And and it's like a, the, the positive spin on it is it's a tale of like the modern marvel of medicine. You know, just, I mean, when I was a kid, for example, you know, and I'm 37 now, I shouldn't, I, I'm admitting <laughs> this to the world. like, a, But, you know, so when I was uh, Evron's age, an ACL tear was the end of it. That was, that was pretty much, you could, you could guarantee that if you returned, it was going to be uh, not a very triumphant return. Yeah. And in and, and just the, the, you know, 15, 10, 15 years or whatever it has been, uh, amazingly, it's it's really, uh, it's not the case any longer. You I think really uh, come back Koga Arslan thing. and uh, Atunj tore their ACLs in the past couple seasons for us. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, turned. we're not living in the past here. Let's talk about Alpai Chalebi. Oh yeah, example. true, true. <laughs> Uh, very soon to return, and and I, I would imagine might get some playing time. 
I don't want to get into any analysis yet, but uh, things are pretty wacky on the back line these days, so who knows? Uh, in fact, that's a good segue. Let me talk a little bit today about this match uh, while we're here, um, <laughs> which is why everyone is here, I would imagine. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, we, we don't like to spoil things in case people didn't watch the match, everyone. So uh, I'm going to like do the whole build-up. Besiktas was at home this weekend for a, a, second, consecutive, a second consecutive week uh, hosting Guztepe from Izmir. Uh, Vodafone Park was... I don't think it was quite a capacity crowd, but uh, yeah, not bad. And they ended up being, I mean, the, in the first it's half, they were 000. pretty piss poor, if I'm going to be honest. But the second half, they really, and you'll you'll hear uh, in today's stadium sounds, courtesy of Emre Hasturk. Thank you very much, Emre, again, as always. Um, but yeah, Emre's sounds... I think clearly show that in the second half, the, the volume of the crowd came out. They really started getting behind the team, which, uh, you know, given especially last week, probably made the players feel a lot better. Um, No booing of Karius, even despite you know the, the news midweek that he'd reported the team to FIFA for not being paid for four months. And uh, I mean, crazy times, <laughs> crazy times in Besiktas on the European side of Istanbul there. But um, anyway, not to be sidetracked, this match against Gostepe featured an interesting lineup. Um, in fact, in a lot of ways, it's the lineup that Khan and I have been advocating for, uh, barring, of course, one major oversight. Mm. But um, <laughs> on the back line, we had some interesting, uh, interesting times there. So let me get into the lineup. Loras Kairos was in the goal, which in and of itself is, is you know, interesting, <laughs> bearing in mind again that he had just reported the team to, to FIFA. Uh, but then also we had Domingos Vida alongside Gary Medel and Gokan Gunul and Adriano on the flanks, which no surprises to begin with, except maybe for Gary Medel playing. Um, Enzo Rocco apparently not being rewarded for his, you know, fairly positive cameo. Right? Cameo, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, after his 
nice little feature against Kai City two weeks ago. Um, yeah, didn't show up last week somehow, and then once again was passed over for Gary Medell, who's not been particularly successful on the back line or anywhere <laughs> uh, this season. <laughs> um, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that later. That might be my point to mention, I guess. Every week, kind of, I like to have one uh, main you know, point of analysis that we want to bring up. And so I, I actually want to talk about Gary Middale and uh, how things sort of shaped out for him in this match. But anyway, in the midfield, we had Dorokan Tokus uh, and Atiba Hutchinson again with, and this was a nice little twist, Shinji Kagawa up front in the number 10 slot with Adem Liayic on the left side and Ricardo Quaresma on the right uh, with Burak Yilmaz up front. Um, yeah. I was going to say, Khan, Evran, <laughs> do you have any comments about the lineup? Um, I, f I felt like it was probably just about the strongest lineup we could put out player per player. Um, I think, you know, maybe if a couple more players, like Ozan, for example, is at his top four, maybe he would make that in. But the way he's been playing recently, I think Dodo Kanatiba was our strongest midfield. And most people might disagree, but I think Quaresma is one of our best players. So I think having him out there was with Kagawa and Lenz, not Kagawa, not Lenz, uh, Yayic was pretty good, in yeah. theory at least. Uh, that's, this This is a point of that one should note, Evran is in fact a very big Quaresma fan, and I'm actually happy that you're on the show to represent that, um, that the, the fact that that still exists, you know, I think <laughs> he's come under a lot of fire for some time, but Khan and I have said on numerous occasions that I think history will look very kindly on Quaresma, he will go down as a club legend. And so uh, it's important for folks to remember out there that there are still people who love Quaresma. You know? <laughs> He's not really the, uh, the forgotten man that some people would like to make him out to be. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think you're, you're right. All of that of what you said is correct. Uh, Dodokan, I think it's, it'd be hard to take him out of the lineup at this point, given how well he's been playing. In a lot of ways, he's been the engine for so long that, you know, uh, it's almost risky taking him out in some ways. But uh, let's just kick right into it. So the match starts cagey. Uh, I think you could say it was competitive, but everyone, you know, no, no one wanted to make that, that first mistake that led to an opening. People were very hesitant, I thought. It was, a, I'll be quite honest. One, one person said that it was the worst half they've seen that's ridiculous, Aurelian. Uh, that's ridiculous, only given the, the second half against Panera, <laughs> which you reminded me of, Evran. But um, it was one of the most difficult match, uh, halves of the season to watch. It was very uh, boring. And I say most difficult in that it was like laborious. You know, that bad half against Panera wasn't difficult to watch because, you know, you were, you were glued to the TV, just like, what's going on here? In this case, it was really like, I, I felt like I could have maybe hit the snooze button and slept in for at least the first 30 minutes of that match and I wouldn't have missed anything. Um, <laughs> except for one thing. In the, in the 
12th minute, Adriano went out of the game, injured. Some sort of calf injury. It didn't look too serious, but I think for the sake of caution, given how he's had a pretty injury-plagued season thus far in general, they took him out of the match. And in came, again, not Enzo Rocco. Yep. Not Nicolas Isimat-Midin, who is not in the lineup at all. Supposedly he's injured. I'm still not buying it. I think there's something shady going on in front, left over from the Fener match. But Nejip comes into the match. And so what this does is it puts Nejip into the middle of the defense alongside Domingos Vida. And, and they slide Gary Medel out to the left back spot. Interesting. 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 I've, I said this. So Gary Medel played one match as a left back early in the season. And I think it was in one of those throwaway European games against like Torshavin mm-hmm. or something that, you know, you don't tend to look at those matches very seriously because you, you expect to win and by a lot anyway. But Gary Medel did play as a fullback and he played very well. And what I liked in particular, you know, the, the club has had uh, a, a track record dating back to Pepe of just launching the ball forward and not very carefully, you know, not keeping the ball on the ground, not uh, building up well so that you can have a more cohesive attack going forward. Um, And the one benefit of Gary Medell on the flank is that he doesn't cross the ball well and it forces him to keep the ball on the ground. And given the ability of our wings generally to cross well, uh, it, it was, it's actually, I thought, kind of useful that he was, effectively keeping the ball on the ground. And, of course, he's pugnacious and defends well, <laughs> as always. So he's always going to come back and defend well. So, you know, I'm not saying he should be our starting left back by any means. But what I what I might be suggesting here is that his best position at this stage of his career might be there. Because, you know, on the back line as a central defender, he's sort of short. There's nothing you can really do about that. He's a little guy. Uh, and he can be beaten in the air very easily. And in the back uh, back of our midfield, he's been, I don't, you know, I mean, he's hes getting up there in, in age. Maybe he's not keeping up as well as he once could, you know. I don't know quite what it is, but he's definitely been less effective in that role this season. Um, but anyway, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Evran. I mean, I'm another guy who... Uh... It's weird. It's I like Gary Mid though. I think um I think he's one of our better players because unlike some of our other players, he actually uh he keeps his positional discipline defensively. Yeah. At all not at all times, but more than other people. Um when he's in midfield, although he doesn't all have the same qualities that Tiba has, I'm less worried about the counterattack because he's less less likely to push forward when we're in possession. Hmm. And when he is at center back, although he is undersized, I think he's our best ball playing center back that we have he's very comfortable on the ball yeah i think his best position is probably in a back three which we see more often in chile but um for us i don't think he has the attacking qualities to play as a fullback and i think on the wings his pace will get a little bit uh he's against someone like maybe like fofana or something or Bifuma, you could see him get torn apart on the uh, fullback, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think I, he can fill it in any position. And I remember in the Leipzig game, this is a while ago, he played right back. And I don't remember being too concerned about his performance. Yeah, he's a bit of a Swiss Army knight, for sure. And, um, you know, 
just something to note, I thought, is that, you know, of course, yeah, he's not someone you'd want to play on the fullback as a starting, you know, as a starter there at all. But again, you know, he he proved useful and, and it's contextual, as you say. You don't want to put him against a guy who could burn past him every time. But in a certain way, you know, he can com- compensate for his lack of speed with that positional prowess that you were talking about. And so he can kind of... Uh, he he wasn't getting burnt on the wing at all yesterday. Again, like th- that's not so helpful going forward. Perhaps uh, he might be lacking pace in that regard. But anyway, just a, a little feather in his cap, perhaps, to note that he can still be very useful in that regard, even if he's less useful in other ways going forward as his age advances. <laughs> Uh, anyway, other moments in the first half of note. I think the big event that was actually a non-event, luckily, was a counter by Gustepe that very nearly resulted in a goal, but it was flagged offside, and correctly flagged offside. But Yasin Ostekin um, rounded our defense fairly easily and, and got back there but had received the ball in an offside position. He uh, Carriers played it pretty poorly, but he seemed to have some knowledge of it being offside. He was waving his arms around a little. So uh, they scored, but it was it was taken away. And to little fanfare, you know, even Gostepe didn't complain much. Um, any comments on that play, uh, Evra? I think we got very lucky there because if you look at the back four, um, what was it? It was Med- I think it was Medel Nezabita at that point. They're all like... 10 yards like ahead of Yasin. So he looks like he's a mile offside, but Gekhan on the far side wasn't really paying attention. Actually, I think that was Nedjip. Tried... That was Nedjip who was holding no, him, I think. I'm, I think it was Gekhan as it was the right back. He stepped up the last second because he realized he's keeping him on, like almost keeping him onside, but he did it after the ball was played. So it was, he was only like maybe a body's length offside when it looked, all the defenders thought he was a mile offside and they all stopped playing. So there's there's a couple times where the just the past few games where our defensive line has not been well set. Usually it's Nedjip who, who messes it up, which really always gets to me. But this time it was Gekhan. Yeah, and actually Nedjip made a very nice diving uh, tackle with the, you know interception slash tackle, um, which was great. But it was also he had to do it because he was so far out of position. He was like in the same part of the field as, <laughs> as Domingos Vida, like not in his side of the defense he's done that on a couple occasions yeah but so you know <laughs> at least he saved himself the the blush is there but but i actually on that offsides play i was i definitely remember yelling at najib i don't know if maybe gokhan gunal was even closer to it but uh definitely najib was pulling that back line like a little too close for comfort i thought but anyway um that was the only action of the first half that was uh, i think worthy of note and it didn't result in anything, luckily. We didn't have any shots. Zero first half. shots. Yeah. Zero shots. Except that Corrigional volley off the corner that went 50 yeah. feet over the and bar. I guess we should say zero shots yeah. on target. <laughs> uh, and of course, we'll do our stat flash later on.
Um, in at the half, German Lenz came in for Nejip Oizal. <laughs> so Nejip came into the match and then came out of the match. Uh, and like I said, he later from that point I mentioned earlier, uh, he did make one redeeming tackle, but perhaps Chanel Ganesh saw what I did, what I did, and recognized that he'd been out of position and was gonna perhaps be a disaster as he tends to be. But anyway, right, like I actually, this was kind of hilarious. During the half, I was going to get myself water, making myself coffee. I missed the, the initial whistle. And by missing that whistle, I missed the goal. I came back and they were celebrating. And of course I saw the, the highlight, the replay. But it was a, a very well, for one brief moment, Vegetash was playing Tiki Taka and it did signal a turn of events. The second half was much better in general, but um, yeah, Burak Yilmaz scores on an assist from Ricardo Quaresma. Um. Liajic dribbled it upfield, sort of uh, distributed it out wide to Quaresma, who crosses it in. Uh, Burak Yilmaz with a solid header across the goal. So Quaresma crossed it to the far post, but then Burak uh, cross, uh, heads it back across the keeper into the top of the net. Beautiful goal. Um, and yeah, it really signaled the change in the game. The second half of this match was far more worthy of watching. Mm-hmm. Than, than the first, although it did not produce any more shots on target for <laughs> But we don't need to go into that. Uh, in the 60th minute, Nabil Gilas came onto the came onto the mat- pitch for Borges. Uh, in the 71st minute, Ostur came on for Denis Kada, who had been playing aggressively. I, I was close to putting him on my shit list with uh, Adem Buyuk and a number of others. Uh, Yasin Ustekin got himself a nasty yellow card in the 79th minute. Borderline. Uh, Evran, you seem to, and, and I know how much you like Quaresma, so I'm going <laughs> to give you the benefit of the doubt here because you seem to say that it probably was a yellow card, not a red card. It wasn't a stomp. Uh, he may have pulled his foot back. It was. He definitely stepped on him, but if you compare it to other situations where you step on the guy who's sliding in, usually you see a red card when he, they leave their foot in. And it wasn't quite uh, as they use in the laws with excessive force. I mean, you could still argue studs up into the shin. So it was definitely like orange, as some people <laughs> like to say. But a red was a tad harsh. I think if he gave a red, VAR would not have overruled him. But I don't think it was worth saying it was a clear and obvious error. Yeah, that's, that a, that's, a, that's a fair take. And, and I think... That's exactly right. By saying orange, what you're really, I think, saying in a way is there are probably four out of ten refs who would call it, maybe six out of ten who wouldn't. You know, it was it was a borderline call, but not like a, a grievance, I don't think, for anyone to have.
Anyway, in the 84th minute, Ingando came into the match for Poco. Uh, in the 90th minute, <laughs> 90th minute, Ozan Ozyukup comes into the match for Shinji Kagawa, who uh, was applauded, I think, fairly heartily. Nice little match from him. In the fifth minute of extra time, uh, Alpaslan Ozturk earns himself a yellow card. But that's it. That's how the game would end. One to nil. Besiktas. A nice little victory. Um, not by any means an impressive win or a, pr a pretty win. But it was one of those ones where if Besiktas were in the middle of a, of a charge towards the title, we're, we're in the thick of things, we would love this win. It, it would be one of those gritty kind of, these are the ones you have to win. Like, these, you know, they're not always going to be pretty, but you got to get <laughs> yeah. those three points, right? The but cliches, in a way, yeah. right, like in a way, because we're so out of it, it left me with a very empty feeling, I'll be honest, because it wasn't really fun to watch. It wasn't really impressive. Uh, we got the three points, great, you know, and we're still in the hunt. We'll talk about results. We'll talk about results elsewhere in the league uh, to sort sort of uh, wrap things up and talk about how the this result impacts our season. Nothing too exciting to talk about in that regard, though. And um, yeah, you know, just just three points. The hard way, I guess we could say. Uh, I'll not even give you the mic yet, everyone. I'll talk about the stats first, and then we'll start going into analysis. Uh, all right. So this is the interesting stat, and the maybe least impressive of them all. Shots. Gostepe won the battle there, having 13 shots to Besiktas's six. Five of them were on target to only one by Besiktas. So Besiktas had one shot on target and one goal, and they won the match one to nil. Uh, so shout out to Loris Karius, who did actually, and I didn't even really notice it much during the match, but there were two saves, one in the first half and one in the second, that were fairly impressive. And sure enough, you know, this is exactly the kind of match where we would, I think, historically give up a goal late and be disappointed that we, you know, especially this season, you know, uh, we drop points again on, on like their one counter. Although again, this time they maybe could have earned that goal more than we did, uh, given the stats. Possession went to Besiktas 65% to their 35. Besiktas completed 621 passes to their 317. A very efficient day of passing, 84% for Besiktas compared to their 72%. Those numbers again continue to climb and look good ever since Atiba has been reinserted into the lineup. Atiba really does bump up the numbers of, uh, of our passing accuracy and has, you know, markedly done that this season. Um, fouls. 20 fouls committed by Besiktas to Gostepe's 13. Although two yellow cards were given out and only to Gostepe players. So Besiktas skirted the line there, committing 20 fouls, but not, nothing too dirty, I guess. Three offsides for Besiktas to, to two by Gostepe, and Gostepe got four corners to Besiktas's three. So, 
What we can say about this match statistically is that Besiktas held the ball for much of the game, but Gostepe was maybe the more dangerous side. And, you know, they played a, a very effective brand of counterattacking football, evidenced not only by their superior uh, attacking ability and ability to get the ball on goal, but also by the fact that they were they forced more corner kicks, were getting off sides, you know, they were getting into position. I actually think it's good news that Besiktas was offside three times. It's not a good look when you're not offside at all. You know, it really kind of signals a lack of intent. And there were quite a few games this season where that was the case. Even with Burak early on in his, uh, you know, Burak is is famously offside. So if he's not getting offside at all, it's almost frightening. You know, you, you want him to be pushing the, the line as much, as much as he can. So, yeah, it's good that that's actually happening again in a weird way. Um but yeah, the stats, uh, I'll, I'll hand over the mic to you, Evron, before we kind of really dig into this match. What do you think about that match? What do you think about those stats? You know, what, what are your overall thoughts here? Um, I think that there was, a, there was the, the possession stats were actually much higher than usual. Uh, I think it was in the first half, we actually, I think we had more than the second half. It was something like 70% at one point, but we really struggled with verticality, especially when Adriano came out. The transition from you know, like to between the lines, uh, from the defense to the offense, it was non-existent. I think as the half waned on, they started going back to the old, uh, as some people like to say, Quaresma sport style, <laughs> where you just swing it out wide. He he tries to do something, but I think we we saw that because the. Atiba, Durukan, Kagawa, and Yaich was probably not as effective as we expected in that transitional play. Um, particularly in the first half. I mean, in the second particularly half. Particularly in the first half. In the second half, it looked like they were getting more comfortable with each other, although, you know, they're, they're not there yet, clearly. <laughs> um, I think Gustafe created much more chances because they didn't actually try to build up the play at all. They would just counter win, win the ball off a mistake or something, and then they would bypassing you know, breaking two or three lines of defense they just they would get the ball and it'd be a counterattack. i think one time it was like a, a four they had a four on three counterattack, which didn't actually do anything with but there was they had several times where they could have scored but you know the ball didn't land properly or the, the guy couldn't get the shot off you know and on another day if the you know with the rub of the green or a little bit of luck they probably could have scored one or two in the in the in the first half maybe one or two in the second half also i think stats wise if you look at like you know, if you're gonna be nerdy, like expected goals, usually when even when loses, I think their ex expected goals is much higher than the opponent. In this game, it was probably 50-50, if not leaning towards Gestapo, just the amount of chances they're able sure. to create. But in the second half, even though we only had one shot on target, um, there was just a lot of times where we would get the ball into the box, and then the final pass would be off. Like, yeah, yeah. In the last minute, or the final Burak touch, is, you know, they'd get the ball the final, and like it would uh, run out. Burak is through, and then he crossed it, and Beto intercepts it, and he had an open shot or an open pass. Or like Kagawa had a beautiful um, pass, like he kind of looked the other way and like dummied a bicycle it. Kick, right? Well, so Kagawa did like a little <laughs> dummy pass uh, to Atiba Hutchinson, and he he had that kind of like yeah. deer in headlights, like, oh my god, what am I doing? With, I, I'm not <laughs> supposed to be on the attack here. I'm a, I'm not comfortable here. And he like kind of clumsily passed it back to Kagawa, and it was a yeah. There was, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Yeah, I I can't disagree with you at all. I, I think, I actually, my, my, my maybe slight difference of opinion is that 
there was enough in the second half of like fancy passing between Kagawa and Lijajic and, and Dorokan even with this sort of energy in the back behind them uh, that I definitely want to see more. Uh, I definitely, you know, th there was some intriguing stuff, you know, as they started to gain some fluency and uh, get some comfort th with each other out there, particularly between Lijajic and Kagawa, right, right, you know, right before Kagawa had been taken out. But um, another factor, of course, was Kagawa still coming into form, you know, maybe fatigue becoming a factor a little bit later on. Though that somehow, somehow that was also when he was performing better. The first half was just miserable. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, so what do you, what is your take there? Uh, maybe that's a good starting point for us. That would have been a focus for a lot of fans. Is that little trio in the midfield? You know, how does uh, Liaj look on the wing with Kagawa in the middle? Can that can that work? You know, what's your final take on that that first go at it? Um, you know, Yaj did not work as well on the wing as I would have hoped. I think in the second half, when he moved into that more Ozan role and next to Atiba, we, we saw a better link-up play between him and Kagawa. Um, I think also in part because Kagawa played better in the second half, maybe. Not sure if it was like, you know, chicken or egg, what came first. But um, we definitely both saw them play better in the second half. Um, I don't think Yaj was really involved on the wing. Yeah. Well, in, in a funny way, um, I think... We kind of, although theoretically we're playing, a, you know, the usual four guys back, it looked often like we were playing more of a 3-5-2 or like 3-6-1 even. And so, yeah, it, it, it meant that uh, Lijic was less needed on the wing, I guess. And maybe that's why it started to look a little nicer, mm -hmm. you know. Well, usually we have uh, two attacking fullbacks. Either it's Gekhan and usually have John Arrow or John on the left side who both people like to push up. But this time, since you had Medell there, he uh, he's more you know stay at home defender. So Gekhan played much exactly. higher, and to compensate, Medell played deeper. So it's still a, a four-two-three-one on paper, but it, it sort of transitioned into having an extra right mid yeah. as Gekhan at the exactly. attack. And so then, yeah, it was it was it was interesting actually. Like it, they were, like I said, it was at least more more fun to watch in the first half, which maybe doesn't say much if we're gonna be honest. But yeah, I definitely feel like they gave me a little taste of something that we certainly can't give up on it. Um, probably worth mentioning is that Fikret Orman, it seems as if he's spending the week in Japan drumming up business. Uh, he's spoken very positively about Kagawa and his desire to keep him with the club. So obviously, uh, if that's the case, and I, I wonder how it could be financially, in a way, maybe it's good news. Maybe there is a plan. Uh, that we don't know about to, to save this club. But um, yeah, definitely that's something that's going to have to work for this club long term. And so we can hope that, uh, you know, we can hope that it starts to, to look a little bit better. And, and yeah, the second half maybe gave people reason to think it's not impossible. You got any anything else to say about that? Um, I mean, I think just to, to comment on the back to the stats is that uh, Kagawa's stat sheet was very average for this game but I think if you you watched it there's a lot of little things that mm -hmm. he did like on the goal he won that header um, there's just a couple passes to Yaich that were like I think one time he like bicycle kicked out of the air like it was for a through ball he, he it didn't have any like key passes any assists any shots but he, his link up play was so let me let me let good. me take a moment 
Let me take a moment here to, to acknowledge our sponsors. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we call this segment the, the hashtag Shinji Watch. This is Shinji Watch time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Tell me more. Uh, tell me more about Shinji Kagawa. This is where I'll usually play a, a, a hip-hop beat with, with a little Japanese tinge to it. You know, uh, yeah. So, I mean, Kagawa, yes. I think that's a very astute point that I think if you... In a superficial way, looked at the match, you'd think he, he wasn't so impactful. But especially in the the more dreary parts of the match, he was really the only one who showed any mm-hmm. anything. Right? Could we say that? You know, it wasn't too great from him, but at least he was out there connecting the midfield to the attack a little bit. You know, he was I mean, showing. He, he always he has that ideal to go forward. I think in that first half of the Fenerbahce game, it was probably his best half. Where he would get the ball even deep in this half, and he always looked to turn out and play it forward instead of just, as most of just most players in general, a lot of the players that we have in midfield, but just you know pass it back to the center back, or pass it back to the left back, right back, etc. Um, he's one of the more creative players I think that we have, and I like you could say Yaich is also, but I think Kagawa is at a different level, is where he's more consistent with his forward passes. Um, Yaich tends to hold the ball maybe for an extra half second more, and I think Kagawa is. His first touch play, creativity, sometimes like one pass he did was very deep in our own half. A man on his back and he chipped it with the inside his foot like with spin, which is very was definitely a risky pass over to the defensive mid. So if he loses the ball there then that's terror you know, they're basically bearing down right. defense with no midfield. But he has he has that confidence just to do that little link up play. And on the goal, it was not the hardest header to win because it was on his head even though he's short. But the way he flicked, he split split two defenders. He just does those little things where he he sets someone else up for to maybe make that the pass the assist or the pass. I think when one or two times he did make a good pass to the guy in the box, and then he would lose it. So yeah. that doesn't really show up on the stat sheet all the time. This is not necessarily a key pass, and not necessarily like a, whatever they they call a chance created, but it's breaking a line there's a way to statistically show how many times you broke a line how many times you split defenders and the efficiency at that i think kagawa would be near the top of the list on our team i think undoubtedly yeah certainly uh you know and and from a psychological perspective you can never undervalue the the feeling he gives you as a team right he can literally sort of flick a switch and get you from somewhere in the midfield up into the attack in, in one graceful move. And so, like, no matter how dreary of a match you're having, no matter how, you know, hard it seems to, to get your passes together and to put to, to put a cohesive attack in place, Kagawa just gives you that kind of, that spark, you know, that inspiration where you feel like anything could kind of happen when he's out there. Uh, and and that's, that's something... I mean, Ljajic has given us a little bit of that. I, I don't want to... I know how much Khan loves Adem Yaj. I don't want to. I don't want to undermine that. <laughs> I like. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's a great player. But but Kagawa gives a little bit more of that kind of impetus to go forward and like where you confidence even. I guess you could say. Mm. But um. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's enough for Shinji Watch. I don't. There wasn't. It was a somewhat uneventful match all around. So it's it's hard to really highlight anyone specifically here. Uh, do, do you have a any major point that you want to talk about with this match? You know anything that kind of ties into the season at large, or shall we move into, 
you know, the highlight and the low light of the match. Quick point out uh, that Dorukan was actually excellent at center back. Oh, yeah. Um, and that he's he's now officially better than Nedjip at every position. Yeah, he's the real Swiss Army knife <laughs> that we needed, that we thought we yeah. all hoped Nedjip would be for, you know, when, when Slavin Bilic said he wanted 11 of him. Um, <laughs> it seems like, yeah, Dorukan is... And so, yeah, that's that's worthy of note. Dorukan was moved back to the back line uh, when, when Nedjip got, got taken out for, for Germain Lenz. And yeah, that totally changed the complexion of the team. It, it, in a weird way, it allowed us to play more of that sort of three, six, one, <laughs> or whatever the hell that was <laughs> that we were playing in for much of the second half. Because he was very steady back there, getting back quickly. He has the pace um, to, to compensate for, for maybe poor positioning because he's adjusting to new positions every week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting, you know, it's, it's very interesting to see him shine wherever he's needed uh, he really shows especially considering that we can assume that he's not getting paid like everybody else like he's really going all out uh, and he's young of course you'd expect more of that he has more to prove uh than a lot of the other guys but you know still it's, it's definitely fascinating to see him provide such an engine wherever he's needed to do that um but yeah let's maybe that that could be our segue maybe that's even the man you want to highlight here so what Khan and I like to do is we have our highlight and low light of the match, which is a kind of man of the match and you know, you know goat stinker <laughs> of the match. You know, but so for you, would would, would you classify Dorakhan's performance as your highlight today? Um, I think it was the most surprising because I mean, obviously we've seen him in, in midfield that he he does put in good tackles occasionally, but I didn't expect him to be able to slide back in defense and be as solid as he was. Yeah, that's really an impressive ability. <laughs> So, I mean, so who would you call our man of the match then, if not him? Uh, you know, it's hard to pick a man of the match because I don't think anyone really, like, blew our minds. Uh, I think there was, uh, you know, a couple players that were that were good. Um, you know, Gekhan and Vita are always, I think, are generally our most solid players mm -hmm. at the whole season. I think, apart from one Vita mistake, they were they were also solid. I think uh, Quaresma maybe wasn't his greatest performance, but it was better than we've seen in recent weeks it was there was a couple couple hints as like a couple times where he would dribble someone that like it reminded you of what he used to do back when everyone didn't want him to to piss off um <laughs> and he he did get his like seven million four hundred and fifty seventh you know assist of this of the yeah. season you know <laughs> despite not being so impressive uh, he he did assist Barack's goal uh, in his typical fashion yeah. you know, on a very well-placed cross. So, uh, yeah. Overall. So, so what are you going to say, man? Pick, I would have to pick, I would say Vita, just because Vita. we kept the clean sheet. He didn't make one mistake at the end where he mishit it. But overall, there was at no point was did he make me nervous other than that time. But I think just throughout the whole season, he, he deserves some appreciation. That's a good pick. Yeah, and we've, we've given him a few of these. He really has been a very sturdy presence for, for the team all year on the back line. Very good. Very, very good player. Uh, yeah, and I think that's that's a worthy, you know, we had a clean sheet. I think uh, you've got to give everyone on the back line there some credit because it was a really uh, patchwork unit, as always. I don't know what Shenel Ganesh is doing. He's a, I've called him a psychological terrorist. and I mean... 
what he's done to Easy Matmirin and Enzo Rocco and like even Nejip, right? Like, I don't like the guy very much as a player. I don't think he's very helpful for us, but I don't think he did anything that would merit him being taken out of a match he was already he was just subbed into. <laughs> I believe that they said there was reportedly an injury. It did there was at no point that I see anything happen to him, but apparently he got injured. I mean, in a way, apparently. you hope so, because... Like, so, Izimat is also apparently... Yeah, injured, exactly. So. Yeah, and I've already raised my doubt on that one, but I mean, no, Enzo Rocco isn't, and he's actually given us a flash of why he might be worth playing, not to mention the, the massive contract he has, and given where we are as a club, if you're paying that much money to someone, you should at least know for sure if they're the one or not, you know, <laughs> if you're going to keep them around. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I it, in line with what we've been saying, and, and to you know, without taking too much time, I think I'm going to go with Dorakan with my with my highlight. I, uh, Vida, I mean, Karius, Medel, everyone back there did exactly what they needed to. Um, so shouts to the whole defense. You know, it, it's it's easy to uh, overlook what they do. Um, you know, especially in a season like this where they're not doing it very consistently, but. Cheno Gunesh has been shifting guys around and swapping guys in and out for so long that it's actually fairly impressive when these guys can put together a clean sheet. You know, you can't can't overlook that. And and Durakan, you know, that's his first ever game as a central defender, and so he helped clean, keep a clean sheet there uh, in a makeshift line. So good for him. Now, low light. Who's who? Who is your worst player of the match, Evran? I'll let you go first since I'm um, a guest speaker here today. I think, um, you know, probably Lens really came in and he didn't do really anything positive. I think that was probably one of his worst performances of the season. He committed like six fouls. I'm exaggerating, but that's really all he did. He, he lost the ball a lot. He fouled a lot. Uh, I mean, he fought hard, you know, he worked hard, which is good. He helped back on defense, which I think he usually does. But I think just, especially when the game was getting a little more stretched, you would have expected him to be able to take some sort of, uh, you know, take the, take the opportunity as he's one of our faster players and a good dribbler. But I think there was a couple of times where Gassama really made him look pretty stupid. Like one time he tried to dribble him and then Gassama took the ball and then no, make you know, I was. I hurt my heart. But. I was. I, I wanted to give Gasama a shout out for much of that match, and then later on in the match, he started flopping around and being kind of an impetuous little dick. Uh, I'll have to bleep that out, but uh, <laughs> enough that I was like, ah, you know, I don't even want to give him any shout out anymore. Like, what a what a jerk. Uh, so, I mean, but yeah, I, I guess for the sake of like. Uh, journalistic integrity or whatever. It's worth noting he was actually fairly good. Uh, but yeah, Lenz, Lenz didn't really stand out. I don't know if he stood out even enough for me to say he was a low light. I'm going to stick to my guns and say it was Nejip. Um, because I'm sticking to my guns that I think he was nearly... I don't think he played enough. Yeah, I mean, maybe he didn't play enough. But, uh, you know, just... I don't like when, when your best standout play of a match is you compensating for terrible positioning and like saving yeah, your own hide on top of the other side you know? yeah <laughs> and like you're in that vital role like uh, i i want to keep giving it to nejep until he's no longer in the rotation because <laughs> <laughs> damn it like he's just not technically proficient he's, he's just not very good at his job yeah but yeah okay i i think that's really i think we've, we've covered this game just about in every way we can 
Other news, uh, Loris Karius came out after the match, said he was not very appreciative of Shane Okunesh's comments to the press. Uh, he did, however, say that they've spoken since, uh, and I guess maybe cleared the air. You certainly hope so. He, he put out a very positive tweet, an Instagram post after the match, sort of with the, the X over the goal, you know, I think representing the clean sheet and then the, the, the shush, the shushy face emoji, you know, like quiet up, you know, detractors, haters. So good for him. Um, and I actually think it's about time someone says, why does Chanel Ganesh have to torpedo me to the press? You know, like <laughs> he could surely talk to me in private, which is, I think, the professional thing to do in any sporting scenario. Uh, and it never helps, you know, when, when a guy is getting booed by his fans to then also be hearing stuff like, you know, of, co of course you're going to want to report your team for not paying you. Not only is the man playing and not getting paid for his service, but then he's getting slagged <laughs> off by the fans. And Lakan and I have, have long spoken about how, you know, if you're blaming the keeper for best touches troubles, then you're a lazy pundit because there are so many problems that lead up to that last moment where it's between a keeper and, a, and an attacker. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, he backed it up with a good performance. He spoke up about how Chanel Ganesh could probably be a little bit more professional in that regard, but also seemed to say that it was all water under the bridge and that they were back to being professional and playing football. I don't, I don't know how this, uh, you know, what this suggests as far as the rumors of him reporting the club to FIFA, uh, if if that is true or not, I'm I'm assuming it is. Uh, of course, you never quite know with the Turkish football press. It did come from Germany. It was, uh, it was the it German did come press. from Germany, yeah. but even still, you know, with football journalism in general, it's not like the height of speaking of journalistic integrity. You, you really <laughs> never know. Yeah. I I think we should probably wait for the final word, but. Even still, I guess it's a good sign. I mean, he's clearly the most talented keeper on the squad now, and he's it's not saying much. Not saying much, but but you know, but he's he's giving us clean sheets and he's you know saving. You know, like we said, there were probably two, maybe three chances for them to to get that equalizer that we've seen be gotten so many times uh, against us. So, you know, credit to him for, for not slipping up and for, for making the saves that were necessary. Pretty solid back there. Uh, again, despite all the nonsense swirling around. Um, also, other news, Gokan Tore reportedly uh, reported this squad. You know, he's complaining. I think he's the only person who actually, like, he said it himself. He tweeted it. Karius has not made a comment exactly, yeah. <clears throat> on the... Uh, but so yeah, if anyone wants a real scapegoat or someone to get angry about, Gokan Tode's out there. <laughs> Although I really, I personally will never uh, give any grief to a person who's being asked to labor without getting paid. You know, I don't care what your feelings are about Besiktas and how you've got to play for the club. Like we, we've most of us have grown up Besiktas fans. These guys are paid professionals who want to get paid to do their job. Uh, and they don't have that that loyalty and that diehard kind of desire to do right by the badge on your shirt kind of thing that we all have as fans. So you, I, for me, the 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 real bad guy here is is the club, and we have to say that 
as fans, realistically, like if your club's not paying their players, they're never the they're never on the right side of of any of debate regarding that, you know. So um, let's just hope they can get it together. Uh, I think Fikret Orman being in Japan, talking about wanting to keep Kagawa with the club, uh, the fact that we signed Barack Yilmaz, who's not a spring chicken, right? Um, yeah. it, it all suggests... And we paid a fee for him. Yeah, right. <laughs> it all suggests that maybe there is some kind of a plan that maybe we don't know about. Maybe there's some source of money on the horizon. Let's just, like, you know, knock on wood and I don't know what, what kind of good luck ornaments you have that you know you need to, to activate here but i think it's time for us to hope for the best uh clubs around turkey are reporting losses uh i know fener has specifically said they needed to to have like a, a negative 30 loss meaning i think a plus 30 gain or something i don't know but they, they have in fact lost 90 million uh the bulk of it being this year with the economy and all that um Credit to Coach for being transparent. I don't think Aziz Yildirim would ever have done that in the past. Uh, but, you know, I think Besiktas has also reported lo massive losses. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hope maybe UEFA can, like, look at the economic situation and recognize the hardship that's, uh, that it is to be in any sort of enterprise as a Turk these days, I suppose, uh, and make money with the economy being as crazy as it's been. But uh, I doubt I doubt they're going to be lenient, especially with Turkish clubs, given our past misdeeds. Um, I think the only saving grace is the transfer flows are, are better than they used to be. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, that's really bad. Across, across the board, and I think Bishash is, is a little bit better than the other big three teams that we have. I think yeah. it's a plus... 15 million maybe maybe i'm exaggerating but we have uh, sold a lot more than we bought this past two or three years man we sold toga arslan to fenerbahce we should get an award <laughs> for that honestly <laughs> are you kidding me he has been I, maybe that's that's a good point to leave things on he's been like the same sort of uh, vacant presence for fener as he always had been for besiktas he has not changed the fortunes of the club uh, so we can all pat ourselves on the back for that at the very least. Um, Evran, tell people how they can follow you on Twitter. So uh, you can start to become, uh, you know, uh, you, you can get the yeah. heat for your comments if there are yeah, any. Yeah, I, I got a gotta burn. I don't have a personal account that says, at fan of BJK, because I made this way back in the day. So it's not uh, personal. one but... word? No, no dashes or spaces no dashes yeah just fan of bjk i think the that's the at and then the, the title is bjk fan and my profile picture is is quaresma so yeah naturally my uh, my priorities are discussion <laughs> in quaresma and so yeah i mean everyone's a lot younger than i am uh but yeah he's it's, it's again i think maybe this is where we leave it Evran has grown up a Besiktas fan with Quaresma as this talismanic figure, the star who's come and gone and come back and, and actually achieved fairly positive things with the club. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to have someone who's kind of come of age with Quaresma as a kind of club legend. And, and, and it's so important, I think, for older fans, especially like us, like me and Khan, you know, who, who maybe can be a little hard on Quaresma at times. Just to yeah, I think he remembers the uh, the Sergen Champions League runs, but I was like 
three or four years old. It's funny. Or five, whatever. How old I was, though. So, I, obviously, I, I don't remember those. Yeah, I mean, Khan definitely also... So have that same Khan definitely has the sort of rose-colored glasses, as he says, when he talks about Sagan. And, like, I'll be 100% honest, I hadn't quite uh, come of age yet as a Betshaj fan to see too much of that era. And uh, I saw a little, but, like, I actually remember a lot of the negatives, like the... the the attitude problems and the training ground spats and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, everyone has their own guy. Um, I'll be honest, I don't even really know who my all-time favorite is. It, it might be Ilhan Mansis. You know, that was kind of my coming-of-age player, maybe. But anyway, uh, everyone, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, uh, it's it's a pleasure to, to host uh, a Great pleasure to have our guest, Evron, come on today and talk about Best Josh with us. Uh, to stand in for Khan, who's, uh, you can definitely catch him on Football a la Turca, which will come out late Monday or Tuesday, I think. I don't know the, I don't know their schedule exactly. Um, but yeah, that's about it for, for us this week. Follow me on Twitter at Sir underscore rights underscore a lot. <laughs> uh, you can follow this podcast at Eagles underscore podcast. You can follow Besiktas International, the mothership, uh, at Besiktas underscore INT for all the latest, all the news that, that comes in around the clock. We've got a, a team of goons from all, of, all, <laughs> of, all over the place. Uh, tweeting everything that comes out as it comes out, you know, even on the American clock, it comes out late night there. So we got Evron actually is one of the guys tweeting. So yeah, uh, follow us as always. Tell your friends, family, you know, the, the guy who makes your morning sandwich, uh, your personal droid units, everyone about the sensation that is the Black Eagles podcast. Uh, and that's about all I have to say except we might have a little break. I don't know if Khan has any uh, anything scheduled for in terms of some little theme episodes that we can do in the meanwhile in these coming weeks. But there's a little bit of a break uh, in, in, in things for Turkish football in general. And the next match is not until April 7th. Uh, they have not officially announced game times for that. I mean, it is three weeks away. Besiktas will be on the road against Rizespor, a very hot Rize, who's uh, up and coming again. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. But so there's a break upcoming, three weeks. Turkey will be fun. <laughs> we'll probably do something in the meanwhile. I don't know exactly what. Evran, actually quickly, do you want to tell me about the table a little bit and results that have come in this week? Um, yeah, so on the top four, uh, Besiktas, uh, got to start travels on all one their games, but the the main surprise is that Bashak Shir squeaked out a tie with a 90 plus seven penalty. So this is one of the first times they drop points in a while. They only have two losses all season. So we're now 11 points behind Bashak Shir. Last week we were 13, and then we are still five points behind Gala and four points ahead of Trabzon for the European spots. Yeah. So everything, not everything, but there's still stuff to play for. <laughs> <laughs> and on the flip side of things, in the in the relegation zone, uh, Erzurum score managed a point. Uh, Guztepe slid into the relegation zone with their loss against us. Bursa score did not 
widen the gap there by losing to Galatasaray. So they're actually only a point above Gostepe for that last uh, relegation spot. Ankara Guju is then the next team above them, tied with Fener actually, with their on 31 points. But so Fener and Ankara Guju are actually putting a little space between them and the others, uh, maybe keeping themselves out of the relegation zone for good. We'll see. Stay tuned. Uh, and yeah, as always, perpetually is the case. Oh, Besiktas! <laughs> All right. Cool, man. I think we're good. Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.